Hi, Braves fans. Let's get rolling. This is State of the Braves. I'm George McNair. The Braves are kind of back on track, guys, uh, after uh, about 10 days of struggling, especially with starting pitching. And maybe it was even more than that coming out of the All-Star break. The Braves' starting pitching had been uh, one of the worst in baseball, honestly, during that time period. But they have bounced back in a huge way over the last four games specifically. Uh, and the Braves generally have been playing really well as they dominated the city of New York, uh, taking three out of four from the Mets, then sweeping the Yankees, and uh, now they welcome the, the Giants into town. They took the first game from the Giants last night as well. So the Braves playing really well, um, back on track in a lot of ways, and uh, it's really good to see that. Uh, we're going to talk about the starting pitching particularly today. It was also a fun game. If you got to watch... Uh, especially the pregame stuff for the game last night against the Giants. The Braves are um, celebrating their alumni weekend. That's always really cool, uh, especially if you've been a Braves fan for decades. Then you get to see all of the old Braves that you cheered for uh, over time and, and even some of the, the much older Braves. Uh, you know, in terms of my Braves fandom, uh, I really have a great appreciation for Dale Murphy. Never got to see him play. He came uh, or he left right before uh, I started watching the Braves, but have a huge amount of respect for him and um, and all of those older Braves that we got to see last night. So that was really cool. Uh, you know, I, I did want to mention that and, and just um, how fun it was. You know, Brandon Gallatin, I've really enjoyed him being in the booth this year and him growing up as a Braves fan. It, it, I think it adds another layer of, of, you know, cool to, to watch the broadcast and see his reactions. He was obviously geeking out all night long, um, uh, with the Braves, with the old Braves being in the booth most of the night. Um, so that was just really cool. You know, it's a reminder of how fortunate we are as Braves fans to have such a great legacy of Braves players in the past. And especially when you're talking about, uh, the Braves of the 90s and the 2000s and that great run of 14 straight uh, division titles and, uh, of course, the 95 World Series and those those memories. But even, even the guys who came before um, uh, in the booth last night, again, Dale Murphy, Glenn Hubbard uh, was another guy they talked to for a little bit. Uh, Javi Lopez was, was in the booth um, and Steve Avery. And I wanted to particularly talk about Steve Avery a little bit. Uh, before I do that, though, uh, if you missed it, Dale Murphy almost lost his life uh, t trying to take a selfie last night. That was funny. Um, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, he's standing on this chair. I don't know how old Dale is now. He's probably in his mid-60s, but he about took a tumble off of the back of the chair and luckily kind of caught himself and a couple other people were were there to catch him as well. But Dale, uh, glad you're okay. Um, and uh, maybe get something other than a chair to stand on next time uh, for a little more um, uh, solid, solid foundation. Uh, but yeah, Steve Avery was also in the booth a little bit. And man, that one really took me back and made me think. And I've thought about Steve Avery several times, uh, just what could have been. Um, and, you know, he was, if, if you remember back in the early 90s, um, his early career was, was awesome. I mean, maybe even on hall of fame trajectory, uh, the guy debuted at the age of 20 as a starter for the Braves in 1990. Of course, the Braves weren't very good in 90, but, but he basically took off as the Braves took off 
as uh, an organization, as a team in 1991. Um, his age 21 year, of course, they made it all the way to the World Series. Uh, he finished sixth in the Cy Young voting as a 21-year-old that year. His ERA was in the low threes. Uh, and, and then in his third season, he made the All-Star team. Uh, his second season was just as good as the other two, but he got no run support, and he only went 11 and 11 that year. But, but every year he, he was in the high twos, uh, low threes in ERA uh, in his first three years. Again, 21, 22, and 23-year-old seasons. Um, over those first three years, his record was was 47 and 25. Uh, and so, yeah, everything just looked like Steve Avery was going to be a perennial all-star uh, on a great Braves team. And what happened? Um, a shoulder injury, basically. Uh, he had a couple different uh, stints on the injured list. Uh, he, he never had long stints. If you look at his career, uh, he basically has 10 straight years of making pretty consistent starts, but you can see his, his ERA goes up and up and up over those uh, later years. And he just was never really the same pitcher after basically, I think the injury started happening in 94, um, 95, he, he struggled through um, and 96 was his last year with the Braves. He was never terrible with the Braves, but you're, you're seeing more of like mid to high four ERA stuff from Avery. Um, and then, you know, he moved on to Boston and Cincinnati and made one comeback. And uh, after being out of the game for two years, he made a comeback with the Tigers in 2003. Just made some appearances out of the bullpen uh, in that season. And, uh, you know, honestly wasn't very good uh, at, at that point and was out of the game after 03. But, but Steve Avery was one. I mean, again, you look and you, you hear Smoltz and Glavin talk a lot about Nothing in their early career would have uh, shouted that they were going to be Hall of Fame pitchers. Um, and, you know, there was failure early on, and they kind of figured it out. And if you look at those early years, Steve Avery might have been the best of the three. I mean, Glavin and, and Smoltz had been up in the big leagues a little before uh, Avery. Uh, they were a little older. I think, um, of course, Glavin had a Cy Young season in 91, and Smoltz had already been an all-star before that. So they were a little more um, established. But Avery was the young guy coming up uh, with a lot of fanfare uh, and timing it in a way that, you know, if he had stayed healthy through all of the 90s and early 2000s, I mean, he would have been uh, racking up wins and um, maybe even being on a Hall of Fame trajectory in the same way that Smoltz and Glavin ended up being. So I always think about Avery as the guy, you know, what could have been and maybe what could have been for the Braves in terms of winning more World Series. You know, if you have a healthy Steve Avery with Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz through, those, through all those years, I mean, you are just talking about dominance, even on a, a bigger level than what they did. Um, but that being said, I mean, I, I think Avery probably has had to deal with those, those what-ifs, and, and he seems to be in a good place. But... Um, the one thing I, or one of the things I remember being really happy about, uh, even as a kid watching the 95 World Series and the Braves winning it, was that Avery had such a tough year and he was able to contribute. He had a huge start in game four. I think it was game four of the World Series. Um, pitched, um, I think, six innings, one earned run. The Braves get that win and, of course, obviously, eventually win the World Series. But it was a huge 
start for him because again he had not been good pretty much all year uh, and he came up huge against remember that Cleveland Indians offense was just uh, absurd so uh, I remember being particularly happy for Avery he had been of course a member of that core group of Braves through all all of that run and he was able to contribute to that World Series uh, and he has that World Series ring even if maybe he didn't end up being a Hall of Fame pitcher or a perennial all-star pitcher like it looked like he would be. He just made that one all-star team in 93. But it's it's not hard to imagine Avery being a 200-plus game winner if he had stayed healthy with the Braves uh, through all of the 90s and early 2000s. Um, he, he definitely could have racked up a lot of wins just like Glavin and Maddox did um, and Smoltz as well. So anyways, it was, it was cool to see Steve Avery. It just kind of took me down memory lane a little bit, and I want to take a few minutes to talk about him and um just uh it was also interesting he mentioned that his son works for the braves in the ticketing office i thought that was pretty pretty cool um but yeah it was it was cool to see him and, and it brought me back a little bit all right well talking about steve avery you know we're talking about pitching and let's get to the current braves pitching staff remember that the braves have uh, really struggled uh since the all-star break with their starting pitching we've talked about that a good bit but these last four games have been an awesome bounce back and not that Freed need to bounce back, but of course, just him coming back from injury. Uh, this was just another stepping stone for him. Of course, his very first start in Chicago went incredibly well. His second start was okay, probably a little dis disappointing on his end, though I thought he still pitched well. And then this start, um, Freed goes six innings, allows two, two earned runs and eight hits. Uh, so maybe a few more hits than he would like to allow. Uh, the the most interesting thing about Freed's start was the fact that he talked his way back into the game. So he'd gone six innings. He goes back to the dugout. I think he was around 78, 79 pitches. And it was pretty clear that Snicker wanted him to be done for the night. He talks his way back into the game, which if you were, you know, if you watched Freed over the years, that's not surprising that he would do that. And, um, and Snicker allowed him to go back into the game you know the weird thing to me and i mean i'm totally on board with with freed here is that since he's been back the braves have really not allowed him to go beyond 80 pitches at all and that was about the mark that he threw in triple a uh, uh in his last start or two you know right around 80 pitches and so it is a little odd that they won't let him go beyond that number i think that's kind of where freed was at he wanted to go a little beyond push himself he was probably feeling pretty good at the time so he goes back in to the sixth inning it's a short at bat a guy gets a hit and I think he ended the night with around 82 83 pitches so he still really didn't get beyond much beyond what he was uh, what he had done in the past so I'm really hoping and looking forward to Freed's next start and maybe him getting into uh, you know the high 80s low 90s and hopefully he can get stretched out a little bit more. I mean, the fact is you want Freed totally stretched and ready uh, for the postseason. And I do understand the Braves being careful with that. Um, but I also hope that they they trust Freed enough to let them know how he's feeling and, the, and that he can go a little longer. Um, so that one was, you know, interesting to watch. Obviously, the Braves are really going to be leaning on him moving forward. But Morton and Elder are also really important to this team. And they have not pitched well lately, and they both really pitched well in their last starts. Elder ends up only allowing one hit over seven innings, 
he he did walk a few, but he got double plays to basically erase almost every um, uh, batter that was able to get on base in this game. So double play magic from Bryce Elder, and that's you know that's when he's going good. He's he's getting the ball more on the ground than in the air. Um, if he's allowing balls in the air, they might go over the fence. <laughs> We've seen that uh, from time to time. So he was mostly in the zone uh, and getting those ground balls and double plays. And Elder uh, is able to bounce back in a big way in his last start. And then Charlie Morton goes up against the Yankees um, as well and gets his mojo back in a big way. Remember, Morton had allowed seven walks, uh, even though he didn't allow a run against the Mets, he had allowed seven walks and only went five innings in his last start. And that's not a one-off. Uh, really, his last four starts had been full of walks and clearly him kind of searching for his release point and his command, and he had not found it. Well, he found it in this game against the Yankees in a big way. I mean, he really dominated a Yankees team that, while it's not a great offense, you do still have to navigate Aaron Judge and he, he made Aaron Judge look silly on a couple of occasions here. So 10, 10 strikeouts, only one walk, very importantly. Uh, and what it looked like is Morton was establishing his fastball early. And uh, his curveball really got dominant late because his fastball had been established and mostly in the zone. Uh, you know, the Braves just need this type of Morton for the playoffs. If Morton is pitching this way, he is a very good number three. Uh, playing off of, of course, Freed and Strider. And hopefully this is something that Morton can take into his next start and and beyond. Uh, you know, I was watching Tom Glavin on um, High Heat, which is not a show I, I regularly watch, but actually I just watched the clip, that, uh, and you can find that on MLB.com on the Braves website. But he was talking to um, Mad Dog, I forget the guy's actual name, sorry, but um, and they were actually talking about Verlander, Justin Verlander. Does he does Glavin think he can get to 300 games? But I thought it applied to Morton a lot. So Glavin basically said, um, and Glavin would know this because he pitched into his 40s. You know, Glavin said, the older you get, it's not just about losing velocity, but it's about losing feel for your pitches. Uh, your command can can come and go a little bit more. Uh, you can lose your release point a little bit more. So any of you guys who are 40 beyond, you know, I've, I've 40 here recently, um, you do start losing a little bit of, you know, just the way you could do things. Uh, it, it starts to wane just a little bit. I mean, it's, it's not always um, really noticeable, uh, but little things don't work quite as well as they used to. And it makes a lot of sense to me that as a 40-year-old pitcher like Charlie Morton is just about to turn 40, this is why maybe his release point and his mechanics and command are slipping and um, you know not quite as consistent as they used to be. And he's always been a guy, really since he's been with the Braves, where his command is is kind of it comes and goes at times, but it has really seemed to come and go a little bit more this year for some reason. But still, when Morton is good. He's he's really good, and you just don't know what you're get, going to get. Now, the thing about Morton in the playoffs is Snicker can have a quicker trigger to pull him. If, if you're not getting the good version of Charlie Morton, you can pull him early and maybe still win that game. Uh, but hopefully, uh, Morton is going to lock things in and going to be a little bit more of the dominant Charlie Morton that we know can happen. Uh, all right, then Spencer Strider went last night against the Giants. 
He'd actually struggled. Um, I think he'd only had two starts before this against the Giants in his career, but he'd struggled against the Giants um, in his other two starts, but he did not struggle last night. Seven innings pitched, 10 strikeouts, just one hit allowed. I mean, the Braves pitching, you talk about just flipping the script, going from struggling mightily to some really dominant performances. Uh, the Braves with this game have now pitched three straight shutouts, two against the Yankees and one against the Giants. And Strider just reminds us when he is locked in, he is the best pitcher in baseball. Uh, and I've talked about this a lot, but with him, to me, it's all about command um, and controlling that fastball, particularly in the zone where he needs to put it. And what I mean by that is staying away from that middle third of the plate when we're talking about north-south, that middle third of the plate, staying away from that. And he was in the upper third and lower third a lot with his fastball last night. And then his slider was starting in the zone and finishing out of the zone. And it was basically, he was basically unhittable last night. And he reminds you that he is still in the Cy Young race with this type of outing. If, if Strider is able to do anything close to what he did last night um, throughout the rest of this season, I think he wins the Cy Young. Uh, right now, to me, you know, there's a kind of crowded field of Cy Young candidates, but there's no one who's clearly clearly separated themselves and is like the obvious front runner for Cy Young. Um, Strider, to me, if he could get his ERA somewhere below 3.30, uh, I think he's got a good chance of winning it because all of his other peripheral stats, including strikeouts, are so off the charts great. Um, he's currently at a 3.57 ERA. Remember, he's had about three really bad starts this year that have ballooned his ERA. Um, kind of probably where it shouldn't be, but um, he does have 227 strikeouts, which is way higher than anyone else in the National League. So, yeah, to me, if the, if the ERA is at least, you know, reasonably strong, and to me that's 3.30, I mean, uh, maybe he could get it below that. Uh, but obviously, if he could get somewhere around there, I think Strider really could get back into, um, I think he's already in the Cy Young discussion, but probably be the favorite for the Cy Young if that ERA starts looking better. All right, another thing that's been going on recently, you know, Ozzie Albies goes down, not really with an injury per se. He is on the 10-day IL, but he was having hamstring cramping um, several games ago. I think he's been out now four games. Uh, it's, it's a little disappointing just because Ozzy was playing so great. He was one of those four guys who'd played every game this year. So obviously that streak has snapped and it would have been cool for him to play every game. Cause of course, last year was just an injury riddled year for him. Um, but certainly the Braves are being cautious, uh, to have him healthy in September and October, of course. Uh, but Ozzy was playing great. His last 15 games before in injury. Uh, he was hitting 323 with a 600 slugging percentage. He'd hit four home runs in those 16 or 15 games and was just playing his best baseball of the season. So it's, it's poorly timed, uh, but it's probably a, an abundance of caution for the Braves. Again, the report was it was hamstring cramping. It was not a strain. But anyone who's had some cramping going on knows that that can tire your muscle and then that can lead to a strain. And so I certainly understand that happening or there could be a, 
a small strain in the leg and that's what's causing cramping. So anyways, um, a hamstring cramp is, is not fun. Hopefully Ozzy's not dealing with those on a daily basis, but, um, but I do understand the Braves being cautious with that. So what that, what happened with that is of course it created a place in, um, on the roster, created a roster spot and Vaughn Grissom was called up. And then immediately you're thinking, because Grissom has been just dominating AAA this year, you're thinking that Grissom is going to be slotted in to that spot and get some starts, which would be really cool for him since he's been in AAA all year. But instead, Snicker goes with Nicky Lopez over Vaughn Grissom. Uh, Lopez, of course, in his first two games, just had some remarkable performances. Um, has has not done much offensively over the next two games, but but you do uh, d despite anything that Lopez is doing on the field, and he is a really good defensive player, especially. But you do wonder why Snicker would go with Nicky Lopez over Grissom. I mean, the the obvious on paper decision is you're choosing Lopez's defense over Grissom's offense, or at least that's the choice that that a manager manager generally would make even though it sounds like Grissom's defense has been a lot better over the last month or so down at AAA. Um, look, Grissom's AAA stats, I'm telling you he's hitting well in AAA this year. I mean, that's an understatement. He Basically, a full season's worth of play, Grissom is hitting 327 uh, with a 412 on-base percentage. He's only hit six home runs, so his power hasn't been on display much, but he's hit 32 doubles. Uh, so his slugging percentage is still really high. He's just not hitting a ton of homers. Uh, you know, and this is not a one-off. Grissom is, this is really his third full season of minor league play. And his career minor league stats are all right around this. He's he's a career 312 hitter in the minor leagues. Uh, he actually hit more home runs last year than this year, but very similar slugging percentage. Grissom is a very good offensive player. Uh, no doubt. Um, and even when he was up early this season for a few games, uh, he wasn't doing much in the power department, but he was still getting on base and hitting for a pretty high average. So, you know, a lot of people are, are viewing Grissom coming up but not playing as a clear sign that he's going to be traded in the offseason. I'm, I'm still not sure of that. I don't see Grissom not playing as a definitive statement by the Braves that he's going to be traded. But what I do think it's it's doing is it's locking Grissom's trade value in a little bit more. So if he's up with the big league club for the rest of the season, which I think is likely with, uh, you know, the expansion of rosters in September coming up, it does lock Grissom's trade value in, right? He's had this great AAA season. So if they do trade him in the offseason, right, you're working off of just really awesome AAA offensive numbers he's like i said he's been playing better defensively so a team that would look to trade for him they're going to have to pay up a little bit more right because i mean what if grissom slumped in the last several weeks of triple a obviously his trade value would go down a little bit uh so that's where a lot of people are reading this right you bring him up you lock in his trade value and then you're going to trade him in the off season and while I do think that's a possibility, I don't think it's the only possibility. And I don't even know if the Braves know what's going to happen. I, I think they are playing all of the potential, um, you know, outcomes at the same time, right? So I, I think Grissom will impact the Braves in 2024, but in what way, right? There's two big potentials to me in seeing Vaughn Grissom's future 
down the line. Of course, number one, again, is that he is traded, right? And that, of course, would impact the Braves by the Braves getting another player. And very likely it would be a pitcher, right? The Braves could get another controllable starter uh, in preparation for Max Freed, probably leaving for free agency after next year. Uh, or the other option is Von Grissom is your 2024 starting left fielder. Now, I have said for a while I would like to see Grissom in the left field. The Braves have done nothing to prepare him for that, right? He has played not one inning of the outfield this year. He's continued to play shortstop. Again, uh, that helps trade value when teams can see that he can play a legitimate shortstop. But in the offseason, uh, you know, the roster is, is tackled as a whole. There's a lot of moving pieces. Do the Braves bring back uh, an Eddie Rosario? Maybe Max Fried does sign an extension, and now you don't need to go look for a starter long-term. Um, all of these things could be in play, and if the Braves are looking to, um, to save a little money by, by not bringing back Rosario on his $9 million extension, then maybe they do explore Grissom in left field at that point. You would have a full offseason for him to work. Uh, and prepare for left field, and then, of course, spring training as well. So I think the Braves understand that there are multiple things that could happen that would cause them to keep Grissom. He is a very good player. I do think they value him generally. Uh, I, I've told you guys this. I'm a big fan of Von Grissom. I, I really think he's a big leaguer and a, a really good hitter and somewhere someone you would like to have in your organization long term. I don't think, obviously, Eddie Rosario or um, – Ozuna are going to be in Atlanta beyond next year. And again, Rosario, it's kind of a question mark whether the Braves will bring him back. Uh, so having a really good young hitter like Von Grissom to me uh, has a lot of value. But it is clear that the Braves are going to need to address some starting pitching over this offseason. Uh, you only have one more year of Max Freed. Uh, you have one-year extension that you could give to Charlie Morton. That's $20 million. Uh, maybe that's how he finishes this season is going to determine that. Uh, you don't fully know the health long-term of Kyle Wright. So there's a lot of question marks with that pitching staff. And if you need to trade Von Grissom to address that, it is understandable. So all of that is in play. All right, guys. So over the last uh, several games, I have noticed, and I just wanted to mention this contrast of the Braves and a couple of their opponents and how it just highlights how good the Braves are. You know, the Braves play the Yankees. Uh, they seem to get a lot more national play just because they're playing the Yankees. There's, I'm annoyed by that in some ways, but it's also good that at least people are talking about the Braves more and how much they dominated New York. Uh, but the first thing that stands out is how slow and plodding and old the Yankees look and how fast and athletic the Braves look in comparison. Um, you know, Aaron Judge is a tremendous player. He's dealing with a toe injury. He can barely get down the line. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton is as slow as you could ever get. I mean, injuries have zapped him of any athleticism he maybe used to have. Uh, they do have some young players. Um, Volpe at shortstop looked pretty impressive. But beyond that, they just um, are not a good offensive team and they are a very slow team and unathletic team generally. Uh, the Yankees have a few stars in their lineup and then just a lot of nothing. And the Braves have a deep full roster of, of guys who can hit. And you guys know that's true. 
and then one other thing that is true is the Yankees playing in New York, the pressure that's put on them, they clearly have a very tense clubhouse that's trying to deal with expectations. They're likely going to miss the plus for the you know first time in a while, um, and they might even end with a losing record, which would be like the first time since maybe 1995 that they've done that. Um, so a tense clubhouse compared to the Braves have probably the loosest, most relaxed, most fun clubhouse in baseball. So it's just a very stark contrast between the two. I think I didn't actually hear him say this. I heard this on the broadcast last night that Aaron Boone said that uh, the Braves and the Atlanta organization is just the top of the class in all of baseball right now. Uh, so it's cool to hear a Yankee say that, and I think that's absolutely true. All right, then the Braves playing the Giants last night. The big contrast I recognized was uh, Michael Harris, right, who almost hit for the cycle if he didn't hit a home run last night. Uh, he's usually your ninth batter, right, batting in the nine hole. Uh, he has the same number of home runs and a higher OPS than the Giants' fourth-place hitter, which is Jock Peterson. Um, so to me, you know, it's it's a reminder just of how good the Braves and I, I actually notice this pretty much every opponent they play. I always look at, especially the middle of the order for the uh, opposing team. and uh, But then you look at the bottom of the order, right? And you have guys who are just not hitting at all. You know, guys with 600 OPS, that sort of thing. And that just doesn't exist for the Braves. Every hitter in the lineup is hovering close to 800 OPS or higher. Um, probably the, the lowest hitter in the, in the lineup is Eddie Rosario, um, who can be ice cold and not give you much for a while, but then he can get hot and be one of the best hitters in the lineup. Um, and he's been on the hot, hotter side of things lately, it feels like. He had a pretty good game last night, too. So, uh, yeah, the Braves lineup, I mean, it gets talked about all the time. It's historic. It's the best lineup for sure right now in baseball, and it's something we should just appreciate. The um, the alumni that the Braves were talking to were, were just reiterating that, right? It's probably the best Braves lineup that has ever been. Uh, it's hard to compare it to any other lineup because it's so good. Um, all right, guys. So, Yanni Trinos, unfortunately, is going to pitch tonight against the Giants. Uh, I talked about Trinos last time, and I had the, um, the theory that Trinos was going to be held on to through, uh, you know, the September call-ups at least, um, even though he's pitching poorly, and I still think that's what's happening. He pitched a dud of a game uh, in his last outing against the Mets, and yet here he is again. Um, and, I again, I think that's why. I, I think uh, it is possible if he just continues to pitch this bad that he will be gone before September 1st, but I think the Braves are trying their best to just get any kind of innings they can out of him to save the bullpen. And I, I guess, uh, you know, th that's the problem for me, though, is he's not really pitching deep enough into games to save the bullpen that much. I, I really don't know why you wouldn't have an Allen Winans uh, pitching right now because I still think he's more intriguing and he's a better option than Chirinos. He obviously pitched great in his last start against New York. I told you guys that I think the Braves don't want to bring up Michael Soroka um, until he's fully ready. He has been pitching great in AAA, so I, I do wonder. But um, maybe they want sustained success for him at AAA for a while before they bring him back up. Uh, but 
Chirinos is a poor match for an innings eater. If that is his purpose on the team, he's not really doing that. I mean, he's getting through five innings maybe, but um, he can really only navigate through a lineup twice. And uh, the, the numbers dictate that he is terrible when he gets to the lineup a third time. I saw Chirinos in person when I went to the Angels game. That was probably his best game with the Braves. Uh, you know, he got through five innings really strongly. He goes out for the sixth, and it kind of falls apart. Luckily, the Braves scored 12 runs in that game, so it didn't matter. But but that's kind of the guy Torinos might be at his best, right? At his best, maybe he gets through four or five innings, mostly unscathed, but get him out of the game after that. And Snicker seems to be unwilling to do it because, again, I think what they're trying to do is let him eat as many innings as possible. Um, but... He's not doing that all that well, and he's going against Webb tonight for the Giants, who's been one of the best pitchers in baseball and is also a Cy Young candidate. So this is a particularly poor pitching matchup for the Braves. Their offense has been known to flip the script and not care about that and, and beat good pitchers anyways, but uh, it's going to be a challenge tonight for sure. Well, guys, that is this episode of State of the Braves. I hope you enjoyed it. I will be back with you soon. Uh, and talk to you again uh, very shortly. See you later.